Welcome to the Point Noted Podcast with your host, Johnny B, and co-host who shows up whenever he wants to, former NFL player, Rashad Barksdale. It's raw, unfiltered, and no topic is off-limit. We talk sports, entertainment, culture, and a whole lot of random shit. Let's get to the point. Point Noted Podcast, you're hanging out with your host, Johnny B. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so today on the show, we have uh, an activist, an artist, a uh, journalist. Uh, this man is fighting for everything justice. Um, and truly, truly, I appreciate his fight. Uh, y'all go ahead and welcome um, Awkward to the show. My man, Awkward, how you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. So you go by Awkward? Yeah. Hmm. How long you been going with that? Um, I'm going to say probably... Uh, I don't know, uh, at least 15 years. Oh, and where did the name come from? Um, honestly, it was more of a, of a, of a reaction, um, or, or like acknowledgement that, you know, the music that I create and the work that I do, um, Mm. awkward is an understatement for a lot of people, but I'm representing people who don't feel necessarily that they for one reason or another can't voice um their experiences themselves Um, right and you know i was i was an awkward kid growing up i felt really alienated and um Mm. you know the way that like the, the place that i grew up in was rich and conservative and um you know racist and and homophobic and and so and you know and i'm a working class like i come from a working class leftist family Um, and so, you know, like by the time that I, you know, at first it was anger and, and fighting and, and, you know, any Nazi I saw, I punched in the face and, and then I kind of figured out a way to be more like proactive and, and positive and, you know, um, like trying to liberate people instead of, you know, adding more violence. Um, and that's kind of how I found myself. So when I, you know, started rapping, it kind of made sense to like, you know, as a throwback to the person I used to be and, and, you know, representing those people who haven't made that kind of, um, jump in themselves the way that I did. Right. Did your personality change once you start rapping? No. Like what, uh, what happened to your personality and <laughs> what happened to your confidence? Yeah. I mean, you know, my confidence grew probably you know, alongside, um, like I I would definitely, like I've said before that hip hop saved my life. You know, I would say that, you know, between seeing the power of music and the power of words, um, and finding an expression, a way to express myself that, that wasn't violent, you know, prevented me from being killed or, or ending up in prison. And, um, you know, that along with guidance from my mom before she died, uh, you know, she was a therapist and she was an activist. So she kind of taught me a lot. Um, and my confidence just grew over time. Probably, you know, I wouldn't say directly, you know, because I was rapping. Um, but certainly there's nothing, you know, there's there's no harm in getting off stage and having people bum rush you. You know, that definitely doesn't. Right. Work. Right. Right. Um, do you remember the first uh, song you made? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, like I definitely made some like early songs, um, 
I guess, you know, I was freestyling and like doing what everybody else does for years. But when I, right. I wasn't, it, it wasn't until I was probably like 18 or something, cause I'm older, I'm 38 now. Um, and back then, um, you know, the, the availability, the access of like easy recording material, you know, um, equipment was not there, you know, now you could record on your phone or you can just buy like, you know, a cheap mic and like, it doesn't even sound that bad. You could record, you know, on GarageBand that comes for free, you know, and all mm -hmm. these things. I didn't have that capability back then. So, you know, I don't think I started recording until I was about 18. And, you know, I didn't really know like how to write a song yet either. It was more just like rapping poetry that I had written almost. Um, and then over time, I kind of, um, I taught myself and, and some other people like um, just learning from other people in the studio and stuff like learning how to construct, um, you know, learning how to construct verses and, and hooks and like real songwriting. Um, I think probably like the first song that I ever released that you know, I actually did a video for um, at Mars Bar um, on the in the East Village in New York City before it closed down. Um, mm. That was called the People's Champ. And, um, you know, I kind of went with that like catchphrase for a while. Um, and then as I got older, you know, I realized that there's a lot of um, kind of arrogance in a concept like that. And, you know, I don't want to feel like I, I don't want to front like i believe that i am the the champ for the people um more that i am a voice for the people you know what i mean and right. as my like politics and mindset and philosophies have kind of expanded and and gotten deeper um you know so is my music right right do you um <clears throat> when you do your music what do you find easier uh about making a song is it um, the beginning process um, where you trying to like, you know, that hot moment where you trying to write something and something come out like, ha, is that like a process for you? Like you usually get that. When I was still living in uh, New York city and I was, you know, before I was married and had kids, I was, you know, constantly either in the studio or I was at shows or I was out on the street and I was just mm -hmm. in the thick of it. So I always had, you know, lines and concepts and things and I was just doing it every day. Um, right. You know, now that I, you know, I spend a lot of time doing other things um, like activist work and, um, and digital strategy and writing and all, and, you know, journalism and all these other things. So it's a lot more, like there's a lot more thought that that goes into when I decide like I want to actually do a song. You know, um, I released an album in 2014 called Worldview that, you know, I spent five years creating. Uh, mm. And since then, I've only released like, you know, maybe five songs over the last five years. Um, and I have another one coming out very shortly um, about, you know, police and prison abolition and, and justice in this country. And, um, you know, I did one <clears throat> after a long hiatus called um, Fuck Trump um, or really called Heather Heyer. Um, she was the woman, the activist who was run over and killed at in Charlottesville at the Unite the Right, you know, counter protest. 
uh, run over by a Nazi. And, um, you know, that moment just inspired me and I just made sure it happened. And when I'm inspired, the writing part is easy. It just flows naturally and it just happens. Um, but being able to like set myself apart from everything else I'm doing, including being a dad, you know, um, that part, you know, actually sitting down to get started, that's the hardest part, you know, finding the time and, and getting the space to do that. Um, but as with my activism and everything else, I just am like, all right, I need this time. Like I need to do this. And, and once, you know, the, the, for the song 10 demands I'm doing, um, you know, uh, Jesse jet made the B and the hook. I asked him to do that for me. And it's, you know, he's a great singer. Um, and a leftist like myself. So it's all ready for me. As soon as I sit down and actually do it, it'll be done probably in an, in an hour. Nice. Right, look at you, man. My man's putting on work, doing music, doing activists, everything, man. Um, but since you mentioned, you know, you brought up, uh, by the way, Vic Jonas. Hey, already. What's, what's up, Vic? I'm sorry about that. All right. It's all hey, good. You here? Um, good, man. How are all you? All right. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah, thanks for joining. Yeah, yeah, same here. Yeah, you finally joined us after trying to get on with that boo boo connection right, you got right, over there. Right. Just, uh, this location you know. right here. I'm in so. the suburb now, so <laughs> connection is not always right. <laughs> but um, yeah, so awkward. Um, so you brought up um, you know, the ten demands and ten uh, was the ten for justice. So let's talk about that. What is the ten demands? Uh, so 10 Demands for Justice is uh, a call for abolition of police and prisons. Um, it sets a roadmap, a realistic, actionable roadmap to get to that point with um, you know, actionable steps, things that we can start doing right now and some of the things that are starting to happen across the country. So, you know, for example, a lot of people are calling to defund the police. Um, we absolutely support that. Um, and by we, I mean um, this coalition that started in late May of 2020 um, that we've named 10 Demands um, that was created kind of organically about 12 of us um, who put these demands together. And, um, you know, for us, defunding the police is like step one um, mm. do that right now we start defunding and demilitarizing the police and there's a lot of other aspects to this decriminalizing poverty and um, you know and holding police accountable and as we move along um, making sure that all cops who commit crimes are fired and all departments that you know um, violate civil rights are dismantled. We defund the departments and the police officers down to zero. We've set the stage for abolishing police um, and prisons goes right along with that. We have a number of um, actionable steps for, you know, defunding prisons. Um, there's no reason we should have corporations profiting off of prisons. So there should be no private prisons. There should be no corporations earning, you know, obscene amounts of money on the backs of slave labor. Um you know, there's a ton of people we can free right away. Um, we could free the elderly, um, the immunocompromised, the disabled, nonviolent offenders. Um, we could free, uh, you know, criminalized immigrants, people who are criminals just for being here, um, criminalized survivors for mostly women who are in jail or prison for, you know, standing up to their abuser finally. 
Um, you know, we end cash bail. Seven out of 10 people in jail in this country have not been convicted out of a crime, uh, convicted of a crime. So we, we end cash bail. We, we completely um, free up the jails. We believe that local jails should be, you know, abolished right now. Um, but as I said, yeah, there are 10 demands that I think all taken together set a really, you know, actionable and essential stage for the changes that need to happen in this country. Um, you know, as we face generations of racism and classism and policing, um, prosecution and sentencing. Okay. So, um, what you just said, you mentioned we should, um, you know, we should like take away cash bail, um, and, you know, local, local offices should not have a jail, local station not have a jail. So my question to you then is you're saying, so when you catch a criminal, what, what I mean, what, what are we doing with that criminal? What do we just let him go, put him on probation and stay at home? So uh, we want to around their ankles. What, what are we doing? Well, we want to end the carceral system. So, um, nothing like what you kind of suggested would happen overnight. Um, we're not looking to all of a sudden have, um, for one thing, no matter when this we're talking about, we're not talking about anarchy. We're not talking about, um, no, um, people not being held responsible for their actions. Um, but certainly in the immediate term, we're not talking about the current systems still being, still being what they are and all of a sudden people can commit what are still considered crimes and just not have repercussions um right right things that we want to start happening right now so as we defund and demilitarize the police those billions and trillions of dollars can go toward um you know programs that are designed to um, prevent crime, to educate for wellness checks and peacekeepers, um, you know, for mediation, rehabilitation and reparative justice, <clears throat> you know, and we envision a society where we've thought outside the prison box, you know, crime and punishment in this society is thought about in a certain way. People are born and just, you know, from day one, it's just understood that this is the way it is. But that wasn't always the case. Um, prisons were created, you know, as a res you know, as a response to, you know, the people realizing that they don't want to publicly stone and hang people anymore. And the term penitentiary came from the concept of penitence. Um, what has happened, though, is we've developed this prison industrial complex where certain communities, <clears throat> you know, post-slavery are criminalized and certain other people are profiting off of their criminalization. So we want to remove the profit motive um, and we want to decriminalize a lot of the things that actually don't have real victims. Um, we want to make changes like repealing three strike laws where a guy doesn't end up in prison for decades for stealing a piece of pizza because he committed two crimes before that one. Um, you know, ending the school to prison pipeline by repealing truancy laws and removing police and surveillance technologies from schools. Um, you know, one in three black boys born today is going to end up in prison. And that's because it's set up that way. So Damn, that's high. It's crazy. <laughs> that's a crazy number right there. Yeah. You know, and then you look at things like, you know, 40% plus of police officers beat their wives. 
Um, those are just the ones who are brave enough. Wait, say, hold on. Say what? More than 40% of police officers ha- have been like found guilty of abusing their partners. So wow. that's just the ones whose partners have been brave enough. To report it, right. Okay. And then you take it a step further. Um, most murders, because people always say, what about the rapists and the murderers, right? Um, in this country, most murders are uh, committed, and, and all crimes for that matter, are committed by people who know the people they're committing this crime against. Um, the, it's rare when it's called, when it's considered a stranger murder. And one third of all stranger murders in this country are committed by cops. So as soon as we get rid of, as soon as we get rid of cops, we're ending a ton of the murder and violence in this country and not the other way around. Um, but then of course, okay, so, all right, I, I have to ask okay. on that. Hold on V one second. So, um, cause this says something that I don't want to forget this real quick. Um, you just give the numbers out of saying basically cops are just criminals in legal uniforms. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, and you want us to do without cops, right? Right. So like, cause when someone is listening to that, they're thinking, so who's going to protect my grandma? Who's going to protect my house? Like, yeah. So like, so can you follow up with that? If we canceling, you know, taking away police officers and things like that, what are we doing for security? Right. I mean, that is again requires thinking outside of this structure that is so deeply ingrained in all Very of us. True. There, mm. we, you know, the, this country is really good, like through the media of creating social scares and moral panics. Um, you know, there we go through periods where, like, um, you know, we focus on one thing or another. Like, there are th- the amount of serial killers out there. It's like less than 1% of, of crime or probably even 1% of murder. So there aren't a lot of serial killers who are going to come murder you. Um, you know, when it comes to the concept of security, the best way to keep your grandma safe is to make sure she lives in a community that is safe and putting cops mm. there where regardless of a person's prior criminal activity, being stopped by cops actually predicts an increase in future criminal behavior. So having more cops there patrolling and making people nervous and criminalizing them with petty arrests um, is not making your neighborhood safer. What would would be getting um, would be improving public schools, would be um, ensuring that not just rich people have access to substance abuse um, treatment and counseling. Um, free health care for everybody, um, you know, programs for intervention and, and skills-based training. And again, having people like peacekeepers who are doing wellness checks on your grandma and people who may be, um, have mental illness or something like that. This is how we make sure that people are getting the needs that are, you know, getting their needs met, getting the services they need. People aren't going to commit crime. People don't like choose to commit crimes. They they do in the moment, but they're put in a place where that's their only option. And we want to remove those options. We want to make their only options to contribute positively. Of course, that doesn't mean all crime is going to go away. And we do believe that there should be repercussions. They're just a different type of repercussion. Instead of criminalizing entire communities and calling certain people evil, we want to hold you responsible like for your human duty. And it is your duty as someone who is offended who or hurt another person to 
um, to repair that broken connection that, you know, the, the crime, so to speak, that you have committed that has a victim. The, the, the crazy part is, you know, most people assume that victims, you know, are desperate to just incarcerate, you know, um, electrocute, whatever, anyone who's harmed them, when in reality, research shows that victims of crime themselves prefer investments in education, jobs, and drug and mental health treatment over prisons and jails. Not to mention that most people who are perpetrators of crimes have been victims themselves. So we need to create by, with all this extra money we're going to have by defunding and demilitarizing, because like they don't need tanks and rocket launchers, um, we'll be able to put that into our communities, starting with those that are most impacted by the war on drugs, mass incarceration and police violence to improve these communities so that crime is not going to be as common as it is today. So I have a quick question. Uh, you know, I, I have to say, I do appreciate you saying that. Um, so two questions I have. One, it's about Joe Biden as, um, you know, for getting elected for or at least um, being on the ballot here for the Democrat to elect him as the next president. Right. So which hopefully if everything works out, that will be the next president of the United States and we can get this current president out of office. Uh, but I've heard that a lot of things um you know, him trying to appeal to both sides of the aisle where when he's talking about this whole defunding the police and he doesn't stand for defunding the police um, and not just him. But when you think about other um, elected officials who are now following people, at least this current this current movement where we are requesting for the defunding the police. Now, what is your stance on what we should do? when we have elect uh, people who we have no other choice is either we select Trump for president or Joe Biden for president. Right. So what should we do when we are now asking who should we as a people vote for for president in this kind of situations where we have no choice or how do we hold those um, elected officials accountable to us? Uh, in that situation. That's one of my questions. And the second one is that and I'm sure you've heard this before, but I wanted to hear from your point of view where you being um a white guy, right? So as a white man, you tend to hear, uh, oh, well, as a black man, I tend to, whenever I'm arguing this, so the same stance that you are arguing, I tend to hear people saying, well, black people do kill more black people. Like, look at Chicago, there was 100 and some people got killed during July 4th weekend. Last weekend, 60 something people got killed. Now, that's always the distraction whenever it comes to this conversation that we're having. You as a white man, what is your RL? How would you? react or what would you say when it comes to a conversation about bringing black on black crimes to this whole defunding the police movement and stopping the systemic racism going on in the country? Yeah. Um, so in regard to the first question, I mean, I think you were, um, you, you stated a fact that we only have two choices. Um, and I think you suggested that they're not very good options. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, Biden is way worse, though, than you even, you know, that you even that you even said, like, he's not just against defunding the police. He wants to he wants to give police more money. He um, is against Medicare for all. Um, you know, he 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 and I don't align on anything. He's the one who um, created mass incarceration with his crime bill. So, um to me, the only difference between the two is that he's not an all out Nazi. 
Um, and he's not, he's not, he's, he's senile and he's incredibly bumbling and stupid and embarrassing. Um, but he is not going to go on Twitter and try to incite as much violence from Nazis as he possibly can. Um, that's how I see the difference. And it's a really unfortunate situation that those are our choices. So, you know, I, you know, years ago, I, was part of a group that lobbied New York State Congress for the repeal of the Rockefeller drug laws. Um, and it worked. So, um, you know, they're a corporate lobby. For those, for those who don't know, though, what is the Rockefeller drug law? Um, uh, drug law? Well, the Rockefeller drug laws were part of um, a much larger, uh, you know, uh, situation in this country um, where we basically. Um, made it so that certain drugs and certain people were um, criminalized in a, in a completely different way than other people. Um, in This was for New York State in, in specifically. Um, but so if you, basically they were minimum mandatory sentences. So, you know, if you had a certain amount of a drug, um, you could face a minimum of 15 years to life in prison and a maximum of 25 years to life in prison. Um, and that's for a nonviolent offense. That's simply for possession. And drugs, um, you know, are for one thing in moderation, not inherently problematic, um, but not to mention that people who are addicts and then who might commit crimes of desperation due to their addiction have a disease. They we should not be incarcerating people with illnesses. Um, so it was part of the larger war on drugs. Um, and you know, one way that to give you an example of how certain segments of society were criminalized is um, it used to you used to have to have a hundred times as much of powder cocaine than you did of crack cocaine to get the same sentence. Now, after a law that was passed, I think in 2014 or 2015, it's still 20 times greater of a sentence for crack cocaine. Um, that's because certain people have crack and they want to make sure that the white rich people who have the powder, which is essentially, you know, it comes from the same drug, will not get the same sentence. If for some reason they happen to get a prosecutor and judge who actually wants to, you know, sentence, you know, convict them when in most cases they'll just get off. Right. If they have enough money. Um, so another one. So, so I say that to say that, um, you know, lobbying is not inherently bad. Um, lobbyists represent interests of groups of people and there are lobbying groups who represent the needs of real people. You know, I'm certainly against corporate lobbyists and the same corporations that give to certain politicians to vote certain ways are also, for what it's worth, giving to police foundations. And this money is used to militarize police departments. Um, but of course, but like lobbying on behalf of, of, you know, oppressed peoples is something that can be very valuable. And, you know, I'll never forget being told by one state congressperson, you know, we don't need we don't need to make changes. All you just need to pull yourselves up from the bootstraps, which is right. absurd cliche. And he was such a, you know, such a schmuck. The reality is that, like, he was white. He was privileged. He was unwilling to recognize systemic racism in education, health care, real estate, um, you know, wages and, and everything else. Or the fact that we're not that many generations away from slavery and then chain gangs and Jim Crow. 
Um, you know, so, so, so I say, so lobbying is one thing. I also think that no matter who the president is, like we, people like me, um, you know, who are demanding full abolition are like the Malcolm to the Martins who are saying like, please defund by X amount of money, or we need to stop police brutality. Um, you know, during the civil rights era, um, Today, we look at Martin Luther King as a collective society in a very incorrect way. He was anti-capitalist and a lot more radical than, than you know, neoliberals like to give him credit for. But, you know, what the greater society during the civil rights movement saw was someone who wanted uh, peaceful marches. And so they were willing to negotiate and give him what he was asking for because they were terrified of the Black Panther Party and Malcolm X. So, you know, the way that I look at it now is that we continue, we need to keep protesting on the streets. We need, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement needs Antifa and, you know, needs uh, white allies. And the more um, scared they are of full revolution, the more likely they are to implement other changes that will lead us in a positive direction. And that's why, what's that? Yeah, word. I mean, and that's why I, not I, we created 10 for Justice because, you know, we intend to send these demands to all the Congress people across the country so that they can look at this and say, well, I don't necessarily think I can end the carceral state. That's demand 10. Oh, but I do see here you're recommending that we free this segment of society right now. That seems reasonable to me. I'm going to push for that. Um, cause I want to get reelected, not cause I actually care, but X percentage of my, um, constituency is black or poor. And you know what? They're not going to vote for me anymore. Um, and I think that's another real value of getting behind down ballot progressives. Um, you know, we, we, um, are spending a lot of time and effort in getting them the funding that they need and getting their messages out there because we have such a two terrible choices at the federal level. Um, things can get done on the state and local levels if you elect the right people. And it's easier to elect progressives um, on those levels. Um, so that's the long answer to the first one. The second one, I, you know, is a really great question. Um, you know, there are people who, you know, and honestly, I am not necessarily the right person to be um, lead. You know, I, I'm not the right person to be leading a march um, for black lives. Um, you know, I am representing a group with 10 demands, uh, you know, a multicultural, multiracial group um, where, you know, we conferred heavily, um, you know, internally, certainly, um, but also externally uh, to make sure that we really represented the black community, the, you know, the brown community, the uh, indigenous communities. Um, and, you know, so I'm kind of a spokesperson, um, one because I am familiar with this territory um, as a, as a hip hop artist and a public figure. Um, I do a lot of interviews, so it makes sense to have me talking about it, but I'm not just speaking on behalf of myself and I'm not speaking for anyone who hasn't made it clear to me what their unique and individual community based demands are. Um, so, you know, I, I, I say all that because like the same, the same as how I've been treated in hip hop, I am honest about who I am. Um, I'm honest about my privilege. I'm honest about white guilt. 
you know, I wasn't born. I, was, I didn't ask to be born um, like none of us did. And, you know, as a Jew who experienced a ton of anti-Semitism growing up, that was probably the first way that I was that I so strongly identified with other people who have experienced oppression. Um, you know, so I and, and for what it's worth, Jews represent 0.2 percent of the world's population and actually are more than 50 percent of, of all hate victims of more than 50 percent of all hate crimes in this country. So the, the oppression of my people isn't over either. So I can truly empathize and I can truly understand while understanding also that unlike a person of color, I can pass. No one looks at me and says, oh, you're a Jew. You know, I can I can get away with being just a regular white guy. <clears throat> so I, I you know, everything I say is with that understanding. Um, but I think there's a really, really easy answer for all of these fascists and racists who are telling you, look at black on black crime. Whites kill more whites. Blacks kill more blacks. Latinos kill more Latinos because you kill the people in your community. It's that simple. So very simple. You know, I agree that, that I mean, that's really the answer. And the only reason they're saying this is because they don't like black people. They don't care about you. And they're using a, a, a racist trope the same way that anti-Semitic tropes are thrown against me all the time. See, I, you know, I really appreciate that. So speaking of anti-Semitism, right, uh, I'm sure you, you know, everyone knows what's going on all over um, now with um, uh, Deshaun Jackson. I mean, uh, Deshaun yeah. Jackson with uh, Nick Cannon, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, just. And so, you know, my personal take on that also is that uh, at least speaking about Deshaun Jackson and Louis Farrakhan. So I have somebody that I was someone who um, until recently, I never actually tried to listen to who uh, to what Louis Farrakhan had to say. I didn't know who this man was. Uh, I've heard about him so many times, but it was always brought up in a terrorism like uh, like to me. So I always just thought it was one of these guys who just preached to hate, you know. So recently mm -hmm. when I started listening to him and I felt like, well, you know, I don't agree 100 percent with what this man had to say, but at least I can say is that a lot of the things that he said, I resonated with them. It made sense to me as a black man in this uh, in America. It felt like this man was pushing um, things that would make life better for me as a black man and every other black man requesting for equality and letting people see and mm -hmm. understand things that the way they really work now. Although I'm sure he has some stands that, you know, everyone doesn't agree with. Like, even I myself, talking to even Johnny B over here and some of my friends, like, I had, like, a list of things where the last time we had a podcast, I was actually suggesting, just like you said, we had a list of demands. And at the very end of that demand should be um, this marching and protesting where even if violence was happening during those marches where um not violence is harming people but where things were getting burnt and things were being looted i said if you have that on the list of things where this are the possibility of what could happen it would make people take you more serious uh when you're looking at the end results of we have demands one to 20 if you don't give us one then we move to two and three by the time it gets down there when we don't get all of these demands we can be at a point where we're mobilizing each other to say it's time to march and regardless of if yeah. antifa is there if black life matters i don't care who it is and whatever happens during those marches if we are not getting what we want and what we need to get 
I support that whole protesting and to the point where even if it leads to burning and looting, if that's what it takes for you to hear us and to change stuff, because our lives currently are being burnt. Our lives are being looted every single day. Black people are perishing and lives are being destroyed. And not just the people's lives, but their children's lives, families and things like that are all being destroyed, you know? So I look at it from that point of view is when you hear a man like Louis Farrakhan and people who has been uh, talking about him, like Deshaun Jackson, I mean, and, um, and Nick Cannon, what are your takes on that being a Jewish man yourself? Yeah, um, I think it's really unfortunate that currently he is the um, most uh, empowering black leader because I am 100% in favor of black power. I'm 100% in favor of justice and equality. And if I were black, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I can't imagine being, I can't imagine how angry I would be. Um, you know, I think you, I think black people have every right to go to my community, like my, as a white guy, not literally, but like, you know, whatever community it is that you don't live in and go loot and burn that community. You know what I mean? Like the people who are oppressing you should feel you. And so I support everything you're saying. And it's what I was saying earlier too, about like the Malcolm and Martin thing. If we, if you show them like it's going to get worse, if you don't listen, they're going to be scared enough that they will listen. It's about um, coming together as a people and, um, you know, and, and, and demanding change, um, not reform, not things that are, that just strengthen the systems that, you know, um, that are holding people, but certain people back and, you know, look pretty on the outside, but actual fundamental change, dismantling of the racist systems. Um, and I wish there was someone other than Louis Farrakhan because he is a virulent anti-Semite. He calls Jews the devil. Um, he, so, and, and for what it's worth, a couple decades ago, Louis Farrakhan met with the Ku Klux Klan, the nation of Islam met with the Ku Klux Klan to brainstorm how to get, how to handle the Jewish problem the same way Hitler did. So he is not the person who I want to be leading you. Um, you, every group needs a leader and he's a really bad one because he is, sowing discord between two groups who are oppressed and two groups who have historically worked together. Everyone who tells you that Jews run the world, everyone who tells you that, you know, all we care about is money, they're lying to you. You know, we are, we are not the racists. It is the Christian white people who are the racists. Jews were made, were forced into money lending because it was considered the worst job you can have. 0.2%, less than 1% of the entire world isn't capable of running the entire world. This, like Jews have been facing oppression for thousands of years. And to have someone who um, has all of these great messages ruin them by speaking about us specifically is so unfortunate. Um, you know, so I, I will never support Louis Farrakhan. I think he's incredibly problematic and he's distracting you guys from what the real needs are. Like you should get it. You should be empowered and you should be marching and you should get justice. But it, he shouldn't be the one um, 
to be leading you. So when, cause I constantly get that from people, um, on Twitter, cause no one's brave enough to say things to your face these days. Um, my response is always to, to post, I don't even say anything. Oh, actually I say a little thing. I post a picture of, um, Jews who look like Jews holding a Torah, marching with Martin Luther King and a guy behind him with a shotgun. I post that famous photo and I say, are these the Jews you're talking about? Mm. Because what he's saying about us is bullshit. Wow, that is powerful because um, until today, until you actually mentioned this, I actually did not know that about the Jews. I did not know they were actually participated in the march with black people, um, you know, do Martin Luther King's times. You know, I personally am one whose my stance has always been, regardless of who you are, if you are looking for equality, then you do not use your position to go i mean to like look down on the other group or to actually perpetrate the same thing that you are fighting for yeah. against another group right that's my own personal opinion yeah. on that so i have never supported that and but like you did like you do say is that anyone who listens to at least if you're a black person listening to lewis farrakhan you see that all you do here he has a lot of great points you know that um resonates with an african-american man like myself but at the same time mm -hmm. we all uh we don't have leaders you know the leaders we have always get killed the martin luther kings the uh, malcolm x even as much as you might hear from him they get murdered and when they yeah. get murdered yeah. we're left with no one but this kind of guy so when with the absence of leadership we don't get anywhere right don't you think it's interesting that he's still around why do you think that is? I actually is? think it is very interesting. Right. It's because they, the power holders who are not Jewish, who hate me just like they hate you, are thrilled to have someone like him who's making sure that we can't work together. Right. During the civil rights era, there was a group that worked alongside um, you know, a lot of the black organizations called Students for a Democratic Society. Um, they were incredibly violent and radical and revolutionary and they were jews so you know people need to do their research i don't hold it against anyone who doesn't know because like what how how could you know if the only time you hear about us is in this negative way why why farrakhan doesn't just say the white man which is the truth the straight white rich man then you'd be he, like, that would be more effective and more accurate. Why he's picking on a people that are, that have, there's so few of us left, like, you know, 13 million people were murdered by Hitler. Like why pick on us? I, like I, it's, it's really inaccurate and, and unhelpful. I, I do agree. And, you know, cause I mean, realistically, one thing that resonates with me is that when you think about the KKK movement, they're always chanting Jews will not replace us and African-Americans will not right. replace us. So <laughs> I fundamentally refuse to agree with anything the KKK, um, so, um, I mean, like, I, I refuse to agree with them on anything at all. So for me, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So even if I do not know anything about the Jews, I've always understood a few things from the Bible, and also I'm a Christian, so I'm not an, um, not a Muslim or in the part of the nation of Islam from the Bible, and mm -hmm. also from the fact that 
if the uh, people who are perpetrating hate all around the world can keep saying the Jews will not replace us, that blacks will not replace us, then at least it lets me understand that they hate them just as much as I, you know, they hate them as much as they hate me. So and yeah. I understand from exactly. that point, yes. Um, actually, I, I just want to clarify, I, I'm pretty sure that I got it wrong about um, the Nation of Islam meeting with the KKK. I'm, I'm, I'm actually remembering that it was the American Nazi Party, which, you know, depending on your beliefs, like could be even worse. Right. I mean, they're yeah. literally called I think they're Nazis. both like in the same ballpark, if you ask me. <laughs> they're all terrible. Um, and, for, and also, for what it's worth, like, you know... Um, I, I support Muslim people. I, um, you know, there's a huge difference also between the nation of Islam and Muslim people and is, you know, Islam as a religion. Um, so that's a really important distinction as well. Um, not all Muslims are terrorists. Not all Muslims are, um, are nation of Islam and not all Arabic people are even Muslims. There are Arabic Christians and um, Arabic Jews. You know, I'm a quarter Palestinian myself. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things that are just only known to the like the smallest degree that really manipulate the way people think. Right. Yeah, I think we can all agree that, um, you know, the world just needs education a lot more. For sure. Um, I think there's people out there who just don't know history. Um, you know, so just going by the water, somebody else that you heard, and it's not good for anybody. Yeah. Um. So let's uh, let's switch gear real quick. Uh, what's going on out there in Portland? So first of all, you know, the news is not really talking about protests no more. It's all COVID right now. Right. And I understand that. Uh. So you're really not looking at the news from a different view. You're not going to notice still folks out there protesting. Mm-hmm. Um. So what's going on out there in Portland? This is kind of getting crazy out there, isn't it? Yeah. Um. I mean, one thing I'll say is that. It's not even just happening in Portland. Um, Portland is getting a lot of the attention because most recently Trump sent um, Homeland Security there. Um, there's there's Trump and, you know, his group um, has sent like collections of all kinds of um, militant policing forces that are taking over for what is already a problematic and dangerous and violent local and state police force. So there's national guard, there's FBI. I mean, there's Homeland security. Like, I mean, there are groups I've probably never heard of. Um, in, in Minneapolis, um, there's a very now pretty infamous video of state police and national guard, um, rolling through, um, a suburban neighborhood um, screaming, light them up and shooting at people on their porches for no reason. They're on their own porches. So this kind of, you know, so there's this military intervention across the country. Um, it's incredibly dangerous that the mainstream media is doing what is expected. Um, you know, at a time when crime was plummeting um mainstream media um reporting on murder and other crimes skyrocketed they are not interested in telling us the truth they're interested in reporting the things that their corporate owners want them to report 
So it's a miracle that nowadays we have things like Twitter and independent journalists and citizen journalists. And like, that's the way people need to learn. That's the way people can get their information. Um, so I think it's incredibly valuable that we have this. Um, in Portland specifically, um, you know, people are are being um, not only beaten and gassed and shot the way they are in all 50 states, um, as this is the biggest uprising we've ever had, including the civil rights movement. Um, they are also flat out disappearing people. Um, hmm. And, you know, one of our people like kidnapping them. Yes. Um, and, and this is one of the this is one of our 10 demands is um, ending all strategic counter protest violence. I mean, that includes ending um, all of it, all anti protest laws, um, ending all of these disbursement methods, um, you know, freeing everyone who ha- is rotting in jail or prison for exercising their constitutional rights to protest Um and, you know, I've been tagging my friend constantly, um, whose, whose name is Mike Schmidt. He's the new DA in Portland, in that county. And he's actually coming from an incredible perspective. He's a leftist himself. And um, I'm just telling him, you got to get started, man. Like, things need to change now. You know, he's looking to defund the police. He's looking to decriminalize a ton of things that should not be should not be crimes um, out there. So, um, you know, we need to keep reporting it, keep re-reporting it, share it with everybody we know um, and don't get afraid. Keep protesting, Um, you know, support mutual aid efforts, support um, bail funds, support organizations that are helping, um, you know, get health care to people who are injured. Um, these are the ways to support each other as we maintain um, this revolution. Um, and in the meantime, like as this happens, we need to we need to elect more people like Mike um, who are going to try to change things as best they can from the inside. And, and I, I definitely do agree with that, because I think one thing I had to like um, just is that to um, a lot of people from the Republican side typically would say, oh, African-Americans tend to vote for people who are Democrats. And they do have a point in that because we as African-Americans tend to think that that's the party that will cater to our needs, that would actually work in favor of us and try to change things. But um, like you did say, Joe Biden was the one who started a bill that led to the mass incarceration. And Bill Clinton was the president during the time where even though it started before him, it led to like ridiculous amount of mass incarceration of African-American people. It was uh, during Bill Clinton's time that we African-American men were de- declared as uh, predators. So in, from my point of view, I've noticed that not every Democrat is the same. So what type of Democrats yeah. should we look for or what should we look for in the Democrats or the people like, I mean, I'm pretty sure there are some Republicans that are not racist or that have the best intentions at heart, but they just fundamentally disagree with some of the things that the Democrats agree with. So what should we look for in the people that we should um, elect into those positions and how do we make them uh, change the rules? Because I found out also that some of these rules, uh, you don't get to vote on this. It's the people that you vote um, into the office that actually put these laws into place by whatever means that they do on that end. So how should we, um, what would your advice be to uh, African-American men and um, the young uh, white 
man and Hispanics who actually join us in this movement um, to pick the people that we vote for and that can benefit us and how to make that happen. Um, you know, I think as, as individuals, um, you know, I think, and I'm not trying to give you a hard time. I think it's interesting. Maybe it's because the three of us are men. Um, but <clears throat> the abolitionist movement is, has historically been led by, um, black women feminists, um, who are, you know, also, you know, probably even in a lot of ways, maybe even worse than men, um, discriminately, um, you know, oppressed by the current system. So, you know, as individuals in our daily lives, in our organizations, in our businesses, um, we need to empower um, black women. Uh, that's one thing. Um, when it comes to, um, you know, who we elect and everything, I, I you know, I, I'm sure it's possible and I'm sure they exist. There are Republicans who, um, and I don't agree with any of this, but there are Republicans who maybe aren't racist who just want to vote Republican because they are, for religious reasons, think it's, you know, murder to have an abortion. Right. Um, you know, I don't know, whatever. Like, sure, it's possible that there are Republicans who aren't racist, um, you know, but it doesn't make it untrue that Democrats are better for the poor. They are better for black people. They are better for brown people, even though an exorbitant number of Latin Americans vote Republican. Um, they're, you know, so they're better for the 99%. Um, but as you said, not every Democrat is the same. Um, it's not even, it's not even like that, like that is an understatement. Um, you can have a Joe Biden and a Jason call from Washington in the same party just shows like, how incredibly wide the gap can be. Um, the establishment Democrats are centrist at best. Um, they, the moderates, and if you see someone calling themselves a centrist or a moderate, you know, almost all of the people who've been in government for decades in the Democratic Party, you know, Nancy Pelosi very much included, they are are more Republican than what we believe Democrats really value. Um, if, if you see someone calling them a pro, themselves a progressive and they are for Medicare for all, they're for canceling student debt, they're for affordable housing for all, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're for a Green New Deal, um, they're for economic justice, they're for um, criminal, real criminal justice, not bullshit reform, um, you know, they're for um, rights for women, for the disabled, for LGBTQ. These are the progressives. These are the real politicians, yes, but candidates and, and a few sitting members who are actually working for the people. Um, and the only way to, um, I think, to get more of them elected is to volunteer. Um to knock on doors, to email people, to have conversations with everyone you know, to use Twitter to spread the messages, um, you know, to find rich people who can donate to their campaigns, um, you know, and to continue to scare the shit out of the establishment. So, um, and to inform the general public 
So these people who are still looking to change things from within the system are not seen as so radical in comparison to someone who's, you know, a black man who's walking down the street with a gun um, demanding equality and justice, like electing some white guy in Washington who wants to defund the police is a lot less scary, you know? Um, so like some have been elected, I think overall, I've been disappointed. A lot of them, this, this election cycle have not won. Um, great candidates um, have not won. Um, but, you know, it doesn't mean we stop, you know, and there's, a, there's always another cycle. Um, and so, you know, it's just a matter of putting your time and money and energy into giving them the support they need to overcome the insane amount of power and money that the corporate owned um, politicians have. Absolutely. Yeah, I understand that. And you definitely been putting a lot of time into uh, supporting those calls and um, and things like that. So definitely I appreciate that. Um, so talk about everything, like, you know, just in general, how, how's your process going for you? Being able to get your voice heard, being able to get out there and trying to impact and be supportive, supportive of the right thing, which can also bring attention to your cause. Mm -hmm. So how is that working for you and trying to get attention and get your platform going? Well, you know, I think, um, like, you know, my, like my music has always been one way that I've done that. You know, most of my songs, and certainly more so now than when I started, you know, and with the less frequent, you know, the the infrequency that I release music, it's all very targeted and strategic and it's all political um, because and I and I try to make music that can be listenable, enjoyable, entertaining and empowering and inspiring and educational all at the same time. Um, music um as Martin Luther King said, is the soul of a movement. And so I'm right. going to keep doing that. Um, in the meantime, you know, I think interviews like these are very helpful um, because getting my message out to your audience expands it, you know, amplifies it. When it comes to my overarching goals, I'm, I'm less interested in like people hearing about hearing of awkward and knowing what I look like than I am of, um, you know, people understanding what abolition means and that we at 10 Demands through 10 for Justice um, have literally laid out a roadmap for how these how this can be implemented starting right now. And, um, you know, also on the website, 10 we have a whole page dedicated to explaining the society we envision post abolition and um, how it would actually work to implement these demands. Um, we have another section with tons of resources from the incredible um, people who have been doing this for, you know, some for as long as me, like the last two decades, some for many long, you know, for much longer. Um, people like Maryam Kaba, um, Dereka Purnell, and um, Angela Davis. Uh, we have tons of resources where people can get educated so they don't just continue to spread lies and disinformation that people who are abolitionists are looking for anarchy and lack of accountability and things like that. Um, so, you know, I think it's, we've been pretty successful in getting the message out there. Um, after a, over a month of working on the 10 demands, uh, we released them on June 25th. Um, and on that day, there were like, I think almost 5,000 tweets about it. Um, I've been, you know, I was featured on um, Nomiki Khan's show, 
Um, mm-hmm. Justin Hunt from Hip Hop DX and Revolt TV interviewed me. Um, so we're getting the message out there. You know, we we just started um, distributing flyers. Um, you know, on a grassroots level, so that protesters on the streets have them, um, and you know, have something to rally around, like concrete um, steps for change. Um, and as I hinted at, you know, we really are um, aiming to, in the near future, develop this uh, email campaign and, and mail campaign, so that um, people who are in leadership positions in government have these demands sitting in front of them um, and can actually right. start to implement this stuff. So we're right. you know, we're part of the way there. Um, seeing some states and cities and um, departments, you know, whatever, like start to defund and demilitarize is a very positive sign. I don't think it would have happened before George, George Floyd's murder. murder. Um, so for whatever reason that like, you know, in the same way that Eric Garner's murder, um, you know, we were able to capitalize on that horrible moment and, um, you know, get energized around I Can't Breathe and, you know, what happened in Ferguson. You know, we're living through historic times um, and, you know, we're one step closer, but we're really, we have a far way to go. Right, we do. But as long as we keep going forward, eventually we'll get there. Um, so go ahead and plug your social again for the folks that are listening. I think it was what, 10forjustice.com? Uh, yeah, it's 10 It's T-E-N-F-O-R justice.com. The group uh, Twitter account and Instagram account is 10demands, that uh, also okay. spelled out T-E-N uh, demands. And that is because we are now also working on other series of 10 demands. So we started with 10 for justice, but we're going to also work on 10 for health and 10 for education um, because all of these things are interconnected. Um, and it's our capitalist society that kind of puts the benefits of corporations ahead of people um, that, you know, position all of us with inadequacies in education, in healthcare, and in and in how we handle justice. Um Right. We'll be working on that stuff as well. Um, if you want to reach out to me directly, um, I'm at thisisawkward.com. It's A-W-K-W-O-R-D. Um, and on all the socials, it's uh, Awkward Rap, A-W-K-W-O-R-D-R-A-P. Nice. That's my man, Awkward Man. Came and share some knowledge. Drop some knowledge on us. Uh, and hopefully we all learn something and, you know, folks can go ahead and um, – Follow my guide online and, you know, get some more knowledge and show support to his cause. Hey, Uncle, man, appreciate you for stopping by, man. Thank you. Yeah, uh, totally appreciate it, man. You got anything, uh, anything fun going on for the weekend? <laughs> um, probably not. I uh, <laughs> I raised two kids. My wife is a, uh, a breeder of a crazy-looking cat, so we have eight cats in the house. Um, so between working on music and activism and keeping my house from blowing up, probably not. Um, my days, um, my days of partying are long over. Uh, I, hear you. I, I, hear you. I really appreciate your guys' time, um, letting me have a chance to speak to your audience, and you know, you absolutely ask some really important questions. So, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much. I really absolutely. do appreciate. It. Um, it's a pleasure for me to actually talk to you. I actually follow you on social media uh actually i'm sorry i get in i got in a little late but like the world view album uh for five years ago i've actually been one of the people i i used to listen to that you know i 
just I always was wonder who is this awkward guy. And so when I heard you were coming, I was like, I I have to, I have to be on that. I definitely have to, you know, get the opportunity to talk to you. So you know, I definitely do appreciate what you use your platform for and how you actually uh, do advance the black people as a movement. Uh, even though you're a white guy, being an ally to us is a uh, it's a blessing, and definitely do appreciate you. My pleasure, man. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okwa, my man. Appreciate you, man. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. All right. Thank you. All right. Peace. Yes, sir. You've been listening to The Point Noted Podcast with Johnny B and Rashad B. Follow us on Twitter at PT Noted and Instagram at Point Noted. Hit the subscribe and follow button to follow us and check out more episodes of us talking a whole bunch of shit. You've been noted.